Oh, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kingdom. And thank you for your spirit that dwells in us, Lord God. And Lord, maybe we focus on you. For it is you who brings the increase, Lord God, not ourselves. May that be our focus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Um, if the children need to go, I don't know, this is the time frame to do it. Um, Tim, you bless me. I want you to know that. In fact, I want to say something to you. Christ in you, his spirit that like dwells in you, it's in your eyes that I see day to day when I meet you, is more important than me. I hope, I hope you can get some of that love that I've just said, because that's what I want to do in my heart, in my life. But we'll see, because I'm broken. You're broken, right? Julie, the kingdom of God that's in you, I see it in your eyes when you talk to me, when we interact. It's more important than it is than me. That's more important. Tim, you bless me. You mentor me. You pour into me. And it's the kingdom of God that's coming out of you that's coming into me. That's more important than me. His kingdom is more important than I am. In fact, I'm usually the thing that is preventing me to become face-to-face to his kingdom. Um, <laughs> yes, in most cases, I would say that's definitely the case for me. It's definitely I'm the one. And it's usually because I want to be the one. I want to be... I'm, I actually need to move around. Oh, it's right here. Thank you, though. Um, I need to feel like I have value, right? That I have, have a place that I have significance. And what's amazing is that my heart has incredible significance. That blows me away sometimes because I can go down this path and logically in my mind and I can be like, I have no value, I have no worth. But you know what? Christ died for me. Right? That cross right there represents, and I'm going to go into greater detail of the sheer amount of sacrifice he went through for me. So my heart is worth an incredible value, and I never want to cheapen that. Like, never even a little bit. But me, as Timothy, has very little value. The kingdom of Christ in me has incredible value, and my heart has incredible value. But my ego, my whatever else kingdom that I want to build my little world that's in my little belly button, doesn't have that much value. Even though our world wants to sell me the pack of lies that it does. And what I find is interesting is there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of flesh and there's the kingdom of God. And what we do goes either direction. There is no middle ground. There's not like, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit kingdom-y. Like it's it just, that's it. And I'm not usually a black and white kind of person because that's not my personality, but when I read this, it's pretty black and white. There's the kingdom of flesh. There's the kingdom of God. And it's obvious. Um, I have a PowerPoint. If you can bring up the first slide. So to bring it down to the kingdom in others is more important than me, 
I want to start by saying, honor one another. That's right. That's the word that God has in my heart right now. And I hope by the end of all this, you understand what's in my head. But that's it. In fact, if you walk away and that's the only thing you get for today, I'm good. Honor one another. Go to the next slide. All right, yes. Um, I'm not nearly eloquent in my storytelling, but I'm going to try to pack the story of Naaman really quickly to you in a, in a short series of events without reading the whole Bible because there's certain things I want to um, accentuate and other things that just is a long read. There's a whole chapter um, for Naaman. But it's an incredible story. So Naaman is this, um, this Syrian officer that basically is the general over all the Syrian army. He is an incredibly valiant man. Like they even stated in the, in the scripture that he has he's done incredible deeds. Like he has to be this really, um, um, as far as, um, he brings a lot of presence to the situation, right? I mean, he has done things. And he has, he's the head over all the army. His boss is the king. It literally says that his boss is the king. So he's just one step under the king. He has an incredible amount of authority. He has an incredible amount of power. And so he's coming from that perspective. And he gets leprosy. Um, and so he has leprosy, and, um, and the, of course he can't lead his men anymore. So he's having to, right there, he, he gets leprosy, and he has to, there's this moment where he's lowered just by, by the fact of life. He's lowered from this high pedestal position to he's now lower, and he can't, and he's frustrated. And there's a servant girl that's in his house that's working there, that she's from Israel, and um, she's a slave, probably, you know, gotten through you know, conquest. I mean, this is not just brutal times. And she is serving them with great honor. In fact, she has enough honor that she's willing to say, oh, if only our master could see the, 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 the servant of the Lord, Elisha the prophet, um, he could be healed. And she's willing to, to put her, her place and say, I love even the people that are dictators over me, for lack of a better word. She's willing to, to love them enough to say, oh, if only they could just go and see the kingdom of God, if, she, if they could see the prophet, right? And so Naaman, obviously, he likes hope because he, right now he's in a place of no hope because he has leprosy. He says, oh, you mean I can, I can, I can get, get healed? Well, I need to do that. And, of course, he's coming at it from strictly a secular perspective. And so he's like, okay, how do we do this um, with money? Okay, it's probably really valuable to be able to get my, my leprosy healed. So he goes to the king and says, hey, king, first off, this is a country we're warring against. I'd like to have a truce to be able to at least go talk to them to see if I can talk to this prophet so I can get healed, right? And so the king says, sure, go ahead, go. In fact, I will give you, and it's a ton of money and stuff. Like, I'll look, go through it. It's worth all of our wages and then some. It's millions of dollars worth of stuff. And he goes, and, you know, he talks to the king of Israel. Now, the king of Israel, he receives him strictly in a business format, and he's like, here's all this stuff. I'm basically wanting to... Um, to get healed of leprosy. And the king of Israel is like, how am I supposed to heal you of leprosy? I'm just the king of Israel, right? What, what is up with all this? I can't do anything. And so it's interesting to me that there's all these authorities talking to each other, places of power. And the only time that you see Christ really coming through is when all of a sudden there is humility brought to the situation. Through this whole story. It's really interesting because the, the king of Israel think is so distraught and he's stressed out because he thinks he's about to start a war with Samaria because he can't heal this guy's leprosy, right? And there's all this, he's stressed. His, his whole his anxiety and everything else is based out of this whole concept that he is trying to somehow 
keep his rank, his position, his power, and not willing to humble himself. And then Elisha sends him a messenger. Elijah doesn't show up himself. He just, there's a messenger that shows up and says to the king, hey, why don't you have um, Naaman come and see me? You know, and I'll talk to God. We'll see if we can work this out, right? And the king is, is like, okay. Um, and so the king is like all of a sudden relieved a little bit, but I have a feeling the king was not nearly relieved enough because he hadn't lowered himself in any way. The king of Israel, that is. So then he says, okay, he sends Naaman to Elisha. So Naaman and all of his men, so he has you know, lots of dudes with him, are coming over and they get in front of Elisha's door, which is really common because the next chapter ends says that there wasn't enough space for Elijah and his followers to stay there, so they went and built another home. So it's a really small, like, you know, dingy place, for lack of a better word. Okay, and Naaman, the king of all, I mean, the, the general of all of Assyria, he shows up at his house, right? This is after he talked to the king who basically didn't do anything for him. Yes, he's already a little bit upset. He comes to the and says, okay, I want to talk to the prophet. And Elisha sends his servant and says, hey, um, the prophet says go bathe in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed of your leprosy. And turns around and walks away. Okay? This is someone that is used to everyone honoring him and he has been getting all the honor, Right? And Naaman gets really upset. He's like, come on, I've traveled all the way here. I brought all this cash. We've talked to the king of Israel. He can't do anything about it. I show up here at this, you know, at this prophet's front door, and I'm literally thrown to the, he says, go wash in the Jordan. He doesn't even wave his hands over. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't even come out and, and, and do a fanfare or nothing. He just says, go wash in the Jordan. And he is mad. In fact, so mad that it, is, it says that he, um, basically his servants came to him, and this is the part I love, and they said, and, and there's, a, there's a translation, Tim, you know more, but my little tiny research on it was basically, it says, it's translated, they say father, but it's more of a, um, of a humbling way of, of basically saying, hey, you're my superior, but I love you, in that sense. And um, it's, it's only in that language, so it's kind of hard to translate. But they basically say, hey, father, um, you, know, uh, you know, we're coming at you from a from, from this position. They could have at that moment said, okay, the big man finally got what he deserved, right? That could have been easily because you know he was a big man and I'm sure he deserved a lot. Okay, you get what I'm saying? They could have done a whole bunch of stuff because he was acting a fool, if that makes sense, because he was angry and mad. But no, his servants really humbled themselves and say, hey, uh, Naaman, if the prophet came out and asked you to do something grandiose or elaborate, you would have done that. He's asked you to do something really simple. Why not just try it? You know, I mean, what could it hurt? Kind of thing. But they were so humble about it. Just by the way they introduced themselves to him. And my point I'm getting at is, there was a honoring that took place because they showed they cared and he, he was valuable to them. At that point, he finally changes his mind and said, okay, I'll... I'll try and go dip in the Jordan seven times. So he goes to the Jordan River, does it seven times. He comes up the seventh time, and he is healed, right? Totally like, wow, this happened. But he had to lower himself to the point where he was willing to get into the Jordan River of Israel. That was pretty far down. And he's healed. He goes back to, to um, um, 
to, to Elijah. And he says, hey, Elijah, I want to pay for this. This is incredible. And Elijah says, no, I will take none, nothing for this. This is not mine. This is God's work. I will take nothing. And that was powerful in and of itself. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, saw this as, hey, this guy has millions of dollars. We can at least get something out of him, right? And he runs after him and says, stop, 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 stop. And he stops Naaman. Naaman says, oh, you're the servant of Elijah. I'll stop for you for sure. What, 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 would, what do you need? And Gehazi asked for, for some small things, but enough to where he asked for something. But the thing about Gehazi was the fact that he, he at that moment, he was so fixated on the flesh, on the here and now, on the thing that he, the, the problem he wanted to solve, that the, that the, because he came back to Elisha, and Elisha said, where have you been? And he said, oh, I've been nowhere. So he denied it. There was some guilt there. You can see that, that there was something going on. He knew he shouldn't have been there and done it. But what he did was worth the cost in his mind because it was just a little thing. It was just a little fub. It was just, a, but it took away from the glory God needed. Does that make sense? It took away from the glory God needed. And so Elisha said, the, the leprosy that's on Naaman will be passed on to you. And he was a leper. And I want to, you to feel that weight, because it's a really weighty story, of how us being, when we get fixated on the flesh and we take away from the glory of God, then all of His glory, then, then we end up paying that price. I'm not saying it's leprosy, I'm not saying, but it's a price that's greater than you want to pay. I can guarantee that. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Um, and I also want to make the whole thing was to note that Elijah the entire time was focused on the Spirit of God because even he was the one that said, did not the Spirit go with you? He, he's talking to Gehazi at the time. Um, out When you talked to, 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 um, to Naaman, did not the Spirit, because when he denied and said, no, I, I wasn't anywhere, basically he said, I, I through the Spirit know you did this. And the point that I got out of that was the fact that, that Elisha was just connected with the Spirit of God throughout the whole process, and that's where the power came from. Just like Christ said, it's not through me. It's through the Father who works, who is in me, right? I have, I have no authority except through the Father that sent me. That's the only place the authority is coming from. Elijah didn't have any authority except for the Spirit that was inside of him coming through God, right? That was the conduit. Um, you go to the next slide. <clears throat> The flesh cannot be exalted. Oh, wait, can't, yeah, for grace to be present. The point for that is that we can't have value of our, of our flesh. We can't rise it up and say, this has value, and there still be grace. So this is something that's been working on me, and I'm going to go into the next slide in a little bit, but <laughs> I've struggled with in the past year or so, because I've always heard, you know, oh, there's grace for, for everything. There's grace for this. There's grace for that. And, and sometimes I'm like, nah, nah, there's, there's no grace right now. Okay, I hope you all can relate with that. But there are some times when there's just no grace. And it's not that the grace isn't there, and I'm going to get to that, because His grace is sufficient, okay? But it's the fact that I am not in a place to receive it at all. 
Okay. In fact, in fact, I'm pushing it out totally. I'm in a place that's actually repelling grace. Okay. And that's why it's not there. In fact, I think that's one good barometer in our life is when there isn't the grace at the end of the day to make it, then there is something that we're holding on to in our flesh that's important. And it's so important that we end up dashing ourselves against the kingdom of God. Because his kingdom, he says, he's the stone that the builders rejected. He is the chief cornerstone, and there are many who dash themselves against it. It doesn't move. We, we tend to think of ourselves as, okay, um, you know, the, the Spirit of God is, is, is moving, and that we in our flesh can just kind of move around it. No. When the Spirit of God's moving, our flesh just hits it dead on, splatters itself all over it, right? Because that is literally what the Pharisees did when, when they saw Christ in person, in Jesus, and, and uh, all the leaders of Israel at that time, when they crucified Him, were doing this. They were dashing against the stone because they could not, in their fleshly mindset, see the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Because the kingdom is, has everything to do with no flesh. In fact, it's, it's all orchestrated. The, from the very beginning, it's been orchestrated to remove the flesh out of the story. Okay. Amen. Amen to that. Okay, God came as a man as opposed to a God. That's lowering yourself pretty far to where there's no exaltation to the, to the God, right? In the sense of, to the, the form of, I am a demigod. Does that make sense? Kind of like what, what um, the devil wanted him to do is say, hey, we'll all fall down and worship you as this being, right? No, he says, I am a man. Like man man, like meat bucket man, right? Amazing, right? I can't get my head around that the God of the universe came to be a man. Can't get my head around that. He came as a carpenter versus a king. So they couldn't say, oh, he's this great king that we all want to support and, and, and run after because of his you know, charisma and all this kind of concept of power. No, he was a carpenter. In fact, that was one of the stumbling blocks in Nazareth when we came back to there was the fact that, hey, man, don't you remember Jesus? He was the one that we put the roof on last week, right? You're telling me he's the Christ? How could that be the case? You get what I'm saying? I remember when he smashed his finger, and he was like, ah, it hurt, right? Like, he was a man. You get what I'm saying? And, and Nazareth struggled with that, at least the people in Nazareth, because they knew him. They knew his brothers. They knew his sisters. He was familiar, right? And it's because of that familiarity that they just didn't get it because they couldn't get the flesh out of the way so they could see the kingdom because that flesh was what they were familiar with. Uh, making sense? Um, he was raised in Nazareth as opposed to Jerusalem. He was just raised in, like, what good could come out of Nazareth, right? What... Um, he served his followers versus leading them, and they all served me, right? No, there was this absolute intentionality in his service. In fact, he even washed the disciples' feet. There was incredible service given. He gave himself to death as opposed to avoiding it. He had every power and every right to avoid death. He hung on the cross like a criminal versus keeping his good name. So it had nothing to do with this. Oh, he has this great name. He has this integrity, which he did. I'm not saying he didn't have all those things. But that wasn't what was valuable. What was valuable was the kingdom. Hear me what I'm saying. He suffered humiliation versus living in a place that he deserved. And that's our king. In fact, that's the king that we are called to represent. In fact, that's the king 
that he literally says, as Christ has sent me, exactly as, Christ, exactly as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Like, exactly. He even uses the word as in the sense of, and as I look at the interpretation, it is the same format that the Father sent me, I send you. Oh, I see a lot of removing of the flesh. That's what I see. Because the format was all about removing any identity, any idol, anything that I said was, I considered valuable that wasn't the kingdom, was struck down just in format alone. Go to the next slide. Oh, this is, I touched on this earlier. God has been showing me this, and it's so real. His grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Hallelujah. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Um, here, I'm, I'm going to show you. My, my mind's weird. I have this little demonstration I want to show you. If somebody could bring me, there's a bowl of water and a, and a, um, and a cup in it in the back. If I can say it real quick. This is a simple illustration that I, I don't know. I'm, I might, you might get it. We'll see. So, I want you to see, um, this bowl of water is actually a whole lot bigger than this. Think of it like 5 million liters or more, okay? It's infinite because it's the grace of God, okay? So, I just had it, right now it's bigger than the cup, but for, for demonstrations, it's the ocean, okay? But, so, I also want to show you that I've got this cup here, which is cracked, broken, has a hole in it. It represents me, okay? Because, yeah, I'm pretty cracked, broken. I'm pretty sure I got some holes in it when it comes to the kingdom of God, right? So, there is no grace in me, okay? Follow me here. There's just, there's nothing, all right? I'm, I'm empty. And then I'm one day, I realize that Christ died for me, the hope of glory. He took upon himself, and he said, that heart, I, I, I don't know, I don't see where he sees the, the, the beauty in it, but it is because he was so incredible and I don't want to discount it, okay? But he said, the heart that's in me was worth all, all of him. He died on the cross and I say, okay, Lord, yes, I believe in you. I trust in you. And all of a sudden, I am filled to overflowing with grace because he applies it and I get f totally filled and I'm inside there. Now, if you look at this cup, you can't see very much of that cup in there. In fact, all you see is the grace and kingdom of God. But as Timothy begins to do things because I'm cool and I'm awesome, right? And I begin to start doing stuff in my own strength. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. All of a sudden, you'll see that there's less grace in the cup and you see more cup, right? But the cup looks cool, right? In fact, it's got cool cracks in it, all kinds of stuff, right? And in fact, the, the more that cup does cool things and thinks he is really cool, the less grace, grace that's in it. But now, is it... Is the grace sufficient that Christ has given it? Absolutely. Right? But the more that, that it's just like, ah, you know, I look really good, and I, I am who I am, and my identity is important, then all of a sudden it just falls out. And all there is is cup left. In fact, it's broken and, and gross. And what is really interesting to me is when the cup is all the way down, there's no extra grace. Follow this now. This, is, this will blow your mind. There's no extra grace at all. 
All of it is full, but there's no more. Like it's right there at the top, boom, done. It's full, but there's no more. That means tomorrow, guess what? I might need to get dipped again, right? And the next day, I might need to get dipped again. And the next moment, I might need to get dipped again. And the next moment, I need to get dipped again because there is no extra grace. Because it is just sufficient for me. There's, there's not this excess like, oh, I had a really good experience with God last week. It was awesome. Right? But today, guess what? I'm good because I'm running off of that. That don't work that way. Because when you don't have the grace, you don't have the grace. Period. Okay? Because you are elevated yourself. Right? Like, that's it. You know? And then sure enough, I'm empty. Right? I'm empty. Dependency can look familiar. What I mean by that is we have got to become dependent on Christ, on His grace. We have to become dependent on it. And that means it's daily. It's, it's hourly. It is, it is secondly. And let's, let's take another example. When we're dependent, let's say we're dependent on oxygen, which we are, right? You can go a few little bit holding your breath. But you start holding your breath long enough, and you're like, you know, I really need that oxygen. I need that oxygen. In fact, if you're going to the deep end, I don't know. I, um, there was this one time I jumped off of a really um, high in Taiwan. It was like 80-foot drop. It was awesome. And I jumped. And the thing I didn't think about was how deep I had to go in the water and how far I'd have to swim up to get to the top. And so it was great. I had a great time. I fell in the water like, ah, oh, they hit the bottom. This is great. And then, and then, and then, you know, you keep going and go. And it gets that really panicking feeling of like, how far down am I, right? That moment of like, I just got to have oxygen is the moment we really are striving for in our walk with Christ when it comes to grace. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because it's our dependency is so critical. Because if we can get to the point where I can say, oh, I need the grace, then it's so worth me lowering myself and my flesh to get it. Because then it's not about, it's, it's not this familiar thing that I'm doing every day because, oh, I get up and I read the Bible and I do this and I do that and I do, 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 do. It's more of a place of I be, be, be. It may be repetitive, just like we breathe is very repetitive but it's not familiar. Is that making sense what I'm saying? It may be very repetitive. In fact, it would be good if it's repetitive, but it doesn't become familiar without any thankfulness because every breath, you don't realize it, you're thankful. Okay, you are. Every breath, you're thankful. That's what we have to be with, a, with God's grace because His grace is so sufficient. Next slide. So, a while back, we were looking at the commands of Jesus, and um, there's one where it it's almost reads like Jesus is giving the 11th commandment, because he says, and I have a new commandment. Like, he literally states it just as that. I have a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And it wasn't stated any clearer than, I mean, it's just love one another. So... Like, okay, that's cool. 
Um, but the people that I'm supposed to love aren't perfect, you know, and there's a lot not to love. So do I just love their, the side that I can love and not love that side? Like, how do we answer this, right? Because there's some, there's some sides over here to people that can hurt me. There's some sides over here that are messy that I really don't want to get involved with because, I mean, I love them as a person, but I don't want to be hurt, right? So what God has been showing me is that the value of Christ that's in that person is worth whatever pain they can afflict upon me from their perspective of being outside of His kingdom. Okay? Now, that's really hard, um, and it's not something that just happens. Um, and in fact, I'm still working through that, and I probably won't get it done till I die. But the point I'm getting at is I see its value, and I want to state that whenever I get, start to get offended... It's another one of those barometers on the dashboard that should immediately say, okay, wait a minute. This is not about that person anymore. No longer about the person. It's no longer about the action because I'm broken, they're broken. We all know we're broken. Okay, let's zoom out. I'm offended. That's a true statement. They have offended me. That's a true statement. But why am I offended? That is the question, right? Because if I'm offended, that means I'm coming at this from a place of flesh. Plain and simple. That's it. Okay? So to me, as soon as I get offended, I'm like, okay, there's flesh in me. I've got to work this out. Now, I can choose to be like, la, 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 I don't want to hear that, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to deal with my flesh, and we can move on about life. But that doesn't get me the grace, remember? We're talking about the grace is sufficient, this whole bowl. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm up here right now, right? And there's a lot left for grace that's still allowed me. I'm missing out grace when I realize that I'm offended. Hear that. In fact, it's usually in the middle of my offense that I'm always complaining that I don't have the grace. Okay, hear that. You get what I'm saying? They're connected. Okay? Christ is in you. This is the solution to the problem of loving. <laughs> it is. It's the solution to the problem of loving your neighbor who is very flawed, just like you are. And it's because Christ is in you that you can love your neighbor who is very flawed. And it's because Christ is in you that you, and you begin to get your strength from that because as he said, I have sent you out just like Christ has sent, or just like the Father has sent me, I send you. He's given us everything we need to love our brother. Yes. It's, it's all there. And it's because he's in us. It's not through our own strength. It's not like we're going to like, all right, you slap me on this cheek. Hit me there too, man. No, it has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with he slaps me on this cheek, and then God just says, oh, he is broken in this area. Pray for him. And then you're like, oh, there's empathy. There's other things. There's, there's all of a sudden you're like, oh. And then God reminds you, you know, and you also said some snarky things to him back here too, right? And then all of a sudden you begin to get to this place where you can start actually humbling yourself and saying, oh, he deserves my honor. He deserves my honor. And that's where I'm trying to get to with all this statement here, is that 
God has wanted to show us that our brother and sister in Christ and everyone, even outside, deserves our honor. Go to the next slide. So honor one another. So this one, God has been working with me for the past couple months. But um, honor is a place of being and has nothing really much to do with doing because if you are in that place of an attitude of honor, your actions will just end up happening. And honestly, you can do the same thing with honor in your heart and without honor in your heart. And you could literally say, I did the same thing. And you could either offend someone or not offend someone. It's really weird. It comes to a place of our heart issue. Does that make sense? Um, it comes from a place of a heart condition more than a action that you're doing or a place that you're stuffing your heart into. Honor sees value based on authority and not current outcome. And what I mean by that is you can literally look at someone and say they deserve honor because they're made in the image of God, because they have this authority that's assigned by God to them. They have this value assigned by God to them. They have, and there's all these different reasons that you can say, oh, they deserve my honor whether they do anything for me or not. It has nothing to do with, oh, they can get me the, the new position in my job. They can do this for me. They can have that for me. They can do anything they want. Right? No, it has everything to do with the fact that because of who they are in Christ, under Christ, through God himself, either through the imago Dei of the fact that they're in his image, they deserve honor. Period. And it's from that place that... So offense to me has always been driving, is derived from the outcome affecting me. What I mean by that is I get offended because somebody's outcome has affected me in my mind poorly. Okay? Maybe true. But honor is walking in the knowledge of his spirit, how his spirit is affecting me. Right? So the same thing could happen. Like my point is someone could do something bad to me and I could get offended or I could say, okay, Christ, what is it in your spirit that you're doing here? Like, what pain do they have? What, what pain do I have? What, you know what I'm saying? What is actually happening on the kingdom level? And I cannot see this if I'm not honoring them. I can't. It just doesn't happen. I don't get the revelations. I don't get the perspectives. I don't get a whole lot of things unless I come in and say, they have more value than I do. Once I go to that place... Then all of a sudden I can be like, oh, I see their perspective. Case in point, um, I think it was yesterday, we were having a, um, a lunch. They actually fed, they, they fed us at, um, where I was working. And there was, um, there was a lady sitting right across from me. And she says, hey, um, would you, and she'd already gotten and got her tea. And she saw I didn't have tea. And she said, hey, would, would you mind if I go get tea? And I was like, oh, no, no, you don't need to do that. Please don't do that. It's all... You know, and I was trying to make it all about me, all about me. And she's like, no, really, I, I want to do, do tea. And a brother in Christ was sitting next to me. He said, hey, why don't you just let her bless you? Whew. It's real, right? Why don't I just honor? Because if I can lower myself and not have it about me, then it's other people begin to see and walk in the kingdom of God. Honor draws out the seeker. 
because it's amazing. When you're talking about someone to, to someone who's honoring you, um, there's no flesh in the way. And you either feel like a total terrible person <laughs> or you begin, and then you begin to start saying, oh, yeah, that is true. This is the kingdom of God. If you have a seeker's heart, it draws it out of you because you get to see it because you're not, you're not constantly going against my ego against his ego, my perspective against his perspective. It all of a sudden becomes, oh, this is about the kingdom of God. And it's laid out in front of them. And the seeker can all of a sudden see that his kingdom when there's honor involved. Honor listens. Um, oh, this has been a good one for me. I was telling some, some people earlier today that, that I've been asking God to, to tell me what I need to tell others um, before I, I talk to, to people. And <laughs> he's been very specific in this. And he's told me exactly what to say. And that is nothing. <laughs> it's been great. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to tell, say in this situation? He gives me the word, nothing. It's been good. I have seen his kingdom manifested in that. Next slide. <clears throat> Honor is the conduit for the Spirit of God. It's just like this. It, it literally is... Uh, I'm not saying it's the, it's a, I think I said A, I'm not sure what it said up there, but it's definitely a conduit. Because if we're in a posture, a heart set, a mindset of honor of those people around us, then his spirit becomes so much more evident and it flows into us and out of us. It's just this, it's just like a straight conduit. It's like you're in the grace. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's no Timothy, it's just grace, it's awesome. Okay, um... Honor places you directly in the kingdom, into kingdom action. A lot of people ask me, you know, how do you know it's the will of God? You know, how do I know? How do I get into the kingdom of God? How do I? <laughs> it starts by just saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right? I mean, it's at that level. To say, yeah, you're important. You're important. You have value. And you're not me. <laughs> That's where it starts. Honor enables me to change. Ooh, this is a good one. So if I'm coming at a perspective of I have more value than the person I'm talking to, there is no way I'm going to be able to hear anything that's worth changing in my heart and life. If I come to a brother and he's like, you know, I, I think you might need to do this, and I don't see him from a place of he has the kingdom of God in him, I can really easily scoff that off. In fact, I'm highly motivated to because my flesh is very fleshy, right? It takes me to say, okay, Lord, less of me, more of you. You are in this brother. I need it. And then from that perspective, if he starts giving me a word that's like, you need to change something, I actually see value in it and I will change. Without that perspective, I'm not going to change. And then lastly is honor creates an environment or culture or a home, however you want to call it, of love. If we can, if us as a body, if us as the body of Christ begins to honor one another, the culture of this body, the generation is what 
Brent mentioned earlier that we are developing is going to be one that brings the love of God. You hear that? If I can honor the people around me. I don't have much more. Um, I want us just to just kind of zoom in a little bit on, into ourself and say, Lord, draw just a circle around you and start asking the question in your own head. What flesh is keeping me from valuing myself more than my brother? So first off, think of a brother or sister in Christ has offended you recently. This is a good one. This is a hard one. And then ask the question, what flesh is in the way of this relationship? On my side. On my side. Make sure it's really clear. Because you, you have to draw it your, because you, this is what you can control. This is, your heart is the heart that Christ died upon the cross for. Remember that. It's you. That's where the value lies. And I'm saying is, let's draw a circle around ourselves and we can say, okay. I was offended. What flesh is there? Another question I want to ask. And I don't want y'all to focus on what was the last day you said there is no grace for this? Okay, it's there. Oh Lord, there's so grace. Trust in his promise that his grace is sufficient. So then you have to ask yourself, what flesh is in the way? I just pray that you would ask the Lord that right now and that it would really begin to start sinking into your heart that you could just say, Lord, it is on the cross that you died to remove this flesh. Your whole kingdom was designed to destroy this flesh. I am not choosing the kingdom of flesh. I'm choosing your kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of my God, Yahweh. That's really all I have for today. Do you have any? I'm, hallelujah. If y'all need any prayer, I'd be happy to talk. Hey, I have one thing. Yes. My, the, the, the flesh that, the aspect of the flesh with me that gets in my way uh, is cloaked in the kingdom. And it's, it's my, the kingdom that's in me is more right than the kingdom that's in you. And uh, like I, that's the thing that I find myself battling with is when I feel like what my the version of the kingdom that I have is more accurate than the version of the kingdom you have. So I just want, I'm, I'm openly confessing that and I'm laying that one down saying, hey, it's, it's not for me to reveal that aspect of the kingdom or even my wrong understanding of the kingdom or argue that my wrong is less wrong than your wrong.
Amen. The word, the word honor occurs in the New Testament over 40 times. But here's an interesting thing, and I, I just checked it because it was one of those things in the back of my head, you know, that I remembered studying it a long time ago, and that's this. You know the, you know the verse, uh, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. Remember that one from uh, the Corinthian letter? Do you know the word price there? Same word. It's the, the word time in Greek. He said, when you give honor to one who has honor and honor one another, those are all from that word time, which the root value of that is, is value. The, the, I mean, the root meaning of that is value. A price, a price tag. You have been bought. You have been bought with honor. So, you know, we've said for a long time, what's this, you know what this place is called? Those of you who have been here long enough? Common ground. Do you know why we call it common ground? Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. There's nobody higher. There's nobody lower. There's no man or woman. There's no Greek. There's no Jew. There's no black or white or purple polka dotted, we are all individually given the honor of Christ Jesus. You dare not look down on yourself. You dare not look up at anyone else. You dare not look down on another. Because the price is the same. The honor is the same. And I have a feeling that that may be one of the individual principles of the kingdom that we struggle with day in and day out. In a culture that people make money by making you feel less of yourself, you know. That's the, that's the, that's the mission of most marketing. You're not good enough until you buy what I'm selling. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not fat enough. You're not tall enough. You're not cool enough. You're not whatever it is. And then we transfer that into the kingdom. And we think there's people in, in church that are higher than us. And we think there are people in church that are lower than us. And we think of ourselves that... And we know ourselves, we, we, we know that if everybody knew everything about us, we would absolutely be, you know, at the lower end of the scale. Well, Jesus does know. He does know. He knows everything about you. He knows the very, 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 very worst thing about you. Well, let me put it this way. He did know the very worst about you. Because when he forgives, he removes it from his mind as far as the east is from the west. But he loved you anyway. He loves you still. You can't make a mistake big enough to cut his love toward you. You can't commit any great work fine enough that he'll love you more. There's a price. 
It's a pretty big one. I've seen the check, and it's signed in blood. You've been bought with a price. You're full of honor. And perhaps our time this morning of response is just letting that wash over us anew. Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought. That doesn't mean think of yourself as a worm, just not more highly than you ought. But for, for heaven's sake, not less than you ought either. He went to the cross, paid that price for you. I dare not look at you and say anything less than a precious, precious treasure paid for by the blood of my Savior. I love you all. He loves you. If you need prayer, there'll be folks up here to pray with you. If you need some quiet time to pray and contemplate this right where you are, that's all right. If you need to leave, don't stop thinking about it. But now's the time for the truth to do what it does to comfort you or to convict you, depending on whether or not you're in line with the truth. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you would pay the price.